What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your 1,000 true fans might be closer than you think. This week, I'm excited to share a unique side hustle that's turning hobbies into profits through what I'm calling local e-commerce. This is the story of building a following for homemade or handmade products without shipping anything, without advertising, and without relying on third-party marketplaces like Amazon or Etsy for exposure. We're going to explore this through the lens of So Here's the Dough. It's a local cottage kitchen cookie operation run by a friend of mine here in Livermore, Jen Fay. You can find her on Instagram at So Here's the Dough. Jen is actually an attorney turned local cookie dealer. To kick this one off, I asked her about the transition from baking as a hobby to baking as a business. Ready? Let's do it. So I am an attorney and a real estate broker by trade, and I'm also a first-generation immigrant. So when we first came to the country, you know, it was obviously the choices were you're either an attorney or a doctor, and I didn't want to be a doctor. And I've always loved baking. So I was an attorney for several years, and I ended up having twins. And with twins, of course, it came with a lot of issues with schooling and daycare and all that stuff. And even as an attorney, it was very expensive to send twins to daycare. So I ended up staying at home with them for a few years and I just started baking. And I've always, you know, it's always been a stress reliever. So I started baking. And when they were in preschool, I would have moms and teachers ask me to bake random things for class parties. And one day, one of my friends said, oh, my daughter's having a party. Would you mind making a few cookies for her? I think I charged maybe like $1.50 or $2 for each cookie. And they were like sizable cookies. After that, I started thinking about what it was that I could make this profitable, something that I could totally enjoy and bring joy to other people and actually make a decent living off of. Okay. So in the preschool circle, you'd established a little bit of a reputation as, as the baker mom, the cookie mom, and someone reached out to you and said, hey, would you mind making this for us? Then that's when you put the price tag on it. Exactly. And I that was actually around the time that I started following Side Hustle Nation. And I realized that it didn't have to be a full-time job, that I could just do these things as it came and just kind of see what other people wanted and needed and then go from there. I didn't have any expectations of what I was going to sell, how much I was going to sell for. And so when I first started, I believe that my pricing was about $24 a dozen, which is really low for custom cookies. Each cookie takes a long time to complete. And so from there, I started raising my prices little by little, but that's where I started was in the preschool circle. Yeah, it's not a couple dozen chocolate chip cookies where they're all the same. These are like hand painted, hand decorated, really works of art in dessert form. So $24 for the first dozen what do you charge today? My pricing starts at $50 a dozen and it goes up from there. So 50 is like the super basic, about three colors and you can pick whatever design, but that doesn't include any kind of handwriting. It doesn't include painting. It doesn't include florals and things like that. So it, it progressively goes up depending on your design. Were there other competitors in this space or were you like, I am blazing my own trail here? In Livermore, there were only two cookiers that I knew of when I first started. There's a whole lot more now, but on Instagram, there are, there were a lot of, a lot of cookiers to begin with. 
I love that. I didn't even know that was a word, cookie ears. <laughs> it's totally a thing now. So we have our own shirts. We have little signs for decorations. We It's a total word now. And I, when I say that, it always surprises me that people don't realize it's a word. Okay. <laughs> so after this first sale, what happens next? So that was actually around October. And I started thinking about the next holiday and what people might need. And I actually did my first Christmas cookie sale two months later. And I made, you know, enough money to pay for my supplies and a little bit of of my time, but it still wasn't great to begin with. And then the following Valentine's Day was when I really made a larger sale. And that was what got the ball totally rolling. I raised my prices a little bit. I perfected my recipe. I perfected my well, I didn't perfect my process, but I started to work on my process and realize what it was that I needed to improve upon and what I eliminated anything I didn't need. I think it would be so dangerous having this like operation in our house. I would just be eating the inventory constantly. Like, was that like, was that a problem? Was that a problem with your husband, with the kids? Yes. So my kids actually no longer like the sugar cookies. They're kind of over it. My husband still asks me for boo-boo cookies. So whenever I make mistakes and in the beginning, he would get tons of them. And now I don't, I rarely have boo-boo cookies and he's actually complained about that. Okay. He's like, I don't make mistakes anymore. Okay. (laughs) I like this seasonality element because it's like, okay, that's a little bit of a, of a splurge for something to impress your friends at a Christmas party, Valentine's party. And they're really cool looking, like we talked about dessert art from a local cookier supporting local businesses. It checks a lot of boxes there. All of these are custom designs? Are you finding inspiration or templates like from what else is selling somewhere? So I have two different categories. One is custom cookies and people can book whenever throughout the year. I have basically an open calendar throughout the year. And then there's the holiday pre-sales where I make my own designs. And I actually pull inspiration from all kinds of stuff from different pillows from TJ Maxx, or if I find like a really cute bag or cup. I'll design cookies around it just to put cookies in it. And there's also tons of cookie cutter shops where they come up with different designs. And if I buy the cookie cutter, then I either follow their design or I pull inspiration from whatever it is and change it into my own. Aside from cookie cutters, butter, flour, sugar, what other types of startup costs were you looking at? So there's actually a lot of different handy tools (laughs) that a lot of bakers will push. I realized that I only needed tipless bags, which are piping bags, and they're kind of like plastic triangle bags that you put icing in. And I didn't need much more food coloring, and that, that was about it. I have all kinds of different supplies, but as time went on, I realized I didn't need much. I did actually end up purchasing my own 3D printer to make my own cookie cutters, because I couldn't find specific designs that really caught my eye, or if I had very specific requests from my customers. One of my first customers wanted sharks with crowns on them. And it was really, really difficult for me to think outside of the box, but I I ended up doing it without the 3D printer. But from that point on, I started to analyze what it was that I could do with a 3D printer and it actually has been amazing for me. I can draw out my own designs. I can share them with friends. If someone needs a cutter last minute, I can draw it up and print it for them within a couple of hours. So that's been one of my really amazing tools that I never thought I would pick up. 
Interesting. So there's <laughs> there's a, another element to it there, where yeah, if you want this super custom cookie where the the actual cutter does not exist yet, yes, we can still get that done for you. <laughs> for sure. Do you remember that Valentine's Day in terms of like the sales total? Were you in the black at that point, profit wise? And that was inspiration. Like, yes, this could be a thing. Yes, because I had a customer order approximately, I think it was about 25 cookies for her son's Valentine's Day party. So I believe I charged about 250 per cookie. And aside from that, I had a couple of other orders that were similar to that. And it really felt like I was going somewhere. But looking back, I definitely didn't charge enough for the amount of work and supplies that I actually used. But technically, at that point, I was in the black. Have you given thought to going back to real estate, going back to law, or like, I'm all in on the cookie thing? So I actually still practice law. I still do real estate. All of those, I have become side hustles to my cookie business, which is really interesting to me. So when people ask my kids what I do, they immediately say that I'm a cookie maker rather than attorney or a a real estate agent. So that's been fascinating to everybody in my family because nobody thought that I could make more money making cookies than I do being a lawyer or selling houses. And to be fair, I only do real estate for either myself or family and friends. So I only handle a handful of transactions each year. But with my attorney license, I actually do a little little more work nowadays. It sounds like the cookie thing is really just kind of spread organically, word of mouth. Curious if there was any proactive marketing efforts. Like at what point did the Instagram profile become a thing versus like, okay, I'm going to set up a dedicated account for this. I started off pretty quickly with my with my own account. So here's the dough. I had a personal one and then this was the business one. And I actually had my sister run the Instagram account when we first started off. And it was a really beautiful profile, but I didn't see or interact with other people the way that I do now. And so pretty quickly I took it on and instead of trying to make things just pretty or beautiful. I just put my own weird personality out there and people really responded to it. And I have completely organic growth. I don't have a huge following, but what I can say about my Instagram profile is that at least half of my followers are local. And so there's they're either customers or they have the potential to be customers. Yeah, that's an interesting element to this too. So we live in a town of 90,000 people and of those, you said, well, you got 1,400, 1,500 followers over here on Instagram. You say roughly half of those are local. Other people are just inspired by your your cookie designs. and what a, It's very hypnotic to watch the, the stories of the frosting and stuff going on. The flooding videos, people love the flooding videos, and I get a massive response from those. It's one of those very zen things, and the way that people watch it is that they, I think they watch it repeatedly. Because the the satisfaction of the icing filling the cookie outline is mesmerizing. And I feel like that when I'm doing the cookies. So when people tell me they love it, I said, well, that that's why I do it. I This is my Zen time. This is my space. Hey, entrepreneurs. We know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. 
work trips, client meetings, industry conferences. With Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's like you may get the same reaction from pressure washing a driveway or whatever, you exactly. know, operating the table saw, like whatever it is in your in your industry that can work. So that is part of the Instagram strategy, kind of like the behind the scenes, the making of the product. There's obviously some beautiful product shots in the profile. Anything else that you found effective in growing that following and engagement? So I actually post more on my stories on Instagram than I do on my official post. My official post is pretty uniform and clean. It's all product shots. I do some tagging, but it's not a whole lot. I don't post too often, but it's enough to to maintain my following. However, I've found a huge response in my stories. And I actually post flash sales and pre-sales primarily on my stories. And I get almost all of my customers following on on that. And that's how I get my business. Tell me about how those work. So a flash sale means that I essentially make X amount of product and then I post on there that I have this product. And it's sometimes I change up the flavor. I do it seasonally. So next week I'll have strawberry lemonade flavor and there'll be kind of tropical summer designs. And for Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving time or Halloween time, I'll do like snickerdoodle or pumpkin spice kind of flavor. So it really depends on how I'm feeling. And I'm in full control of the design of everything and the quantity. So if I have time, I'll make a certain amount. And then I'll post it and say, okay, I have these four packs for however much. I have this dozen for however much. And people will message me or go to one of my platforms to purchase. And they just come pick it up on the porch. I don't do any delivery. I don't ship it's actually illegal for me to ship as a cottage food baker. And then the other side of it is the pre-sale. 
So a holiday like Halloween or back to school, I'll say, okay, I'm opening up the sales for this. And when I hit my limit, then I'll close it down. And I usually hit my limit in the first half an hour. Wow. And I have a pretty big limit. It's I can make a decent number of cookies every week. I can go up to about five or 600 cookies. And I almost always hit my limit within the first half an hour. It depends on the holiday, but there have been times when I've sold out in the first 30 seconds. What? <laughs> and yeah, that, that was insane. That was actually for quarantine cookies. So I made toilet paper and soap-shaped cookies, and I had to tell probably 90% of the people no. I set a time on Instagram. There's a little feature where you can have a reminder timer for your followers, and they can click it, and then it'll pop up on Instagram. And it'll say, okay, the flash sale's starting in however many seconds or minutes. And so most of my followers will click that timer. And I used to take orders through Instagram. And within the first second of it turning to be 5 p.m., my phone would just blow up with all these messages. And I, I had to stop doing that because I couldn't manage it. There were so many disappointed people there were just people who just didn't get any cookies, not even what they wanted, but they couldn't get any of them. And so I actually switched platforms and it's I've been testing out different platforms and it's been working out pretty well. What are you using today to manage order intake? Order intake for customs is all through email. So people email me and then I confirm and we talk about design. So I have everything in one place. However, with pre-sales, I use Square, which is really efficient. And I have a lot of customers who want to pay cash or via Venmo or PayPal. And they all kind of know the process. I post about it. And so they can either go to Square or they can just email me with their order. However, with the flash sales, I've been using a site called Formsite, F-O-R-M-S-I-T-E. And what it does is it's basically like a Google Docs, but you can much more efficiently control the quantities and the kind of designs that you have on there. And what it does is they basically fill out like a form like Google Docs. They can make their order. But on the back end, I can control how many of the Apple cookies I have. I only have 30. And that'll show on the homepage. So it kind of creates like an urgency for people to purchase immediately. I always get customers who are like, oh, I'm going to think about it. No, there's no thinking about it. You either got to purchase it or you're going to lose out. It's now or never. Hit the button. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then so Square processes the payment or people will Venmo you. Yeah. So it's either or. It's it's up to the customer. And I allow returning customers to pay me cash when they come pick up. Okay. So I'm trying to do the math on here. If, if the output is 500 cookies a week which is like 40 or 50 dozen times a minimum of $50 per dozen. It's like two grand worth of cookies. It's a pretty serious operation. So there is a variation in the size of the cookies. Usually I have found a niche in minis and they're, they're about one or two bite cookies. And I, I make a lot of those and those are about two to $3 each. But yes, it's even with the calculation with the minis, it's it is a pretty sizable income for each week. But I also have a cap on my cottage food license, and the cap is around fifty thousand dollars a year. You wouldn't think that a cookier could make fifty thousand dollars a year, but I come pretty close with cookies. Wow, 
I didn't realize they would put a cat. Like, I guess if they're like, above that, you're no longer cottage. Like above that, you need to go find a commercial kitchen or something. Exactly. I think that they want to control the people helping you. So you can only have people who are, I believe, your family members or who live with you. I don't remember which one it is. And you can't actually like hire a ton of people to come help you. So it it is to control that anything beyond that, you're going to have to find a commercial kitchen. Is that something that you've considered or are you happy to kind of keep operating out of home? I have considered it, but it's not worth it because my cookies take approximately 12 to 24 hours to cure. And so I can't just leave them in a location where I don't have control of the surroundings. I have a cookie room where I can close the door. Nobody can go in there. I have everything really like secured and my kids know not to, not to even go in there. Retina scans and okay. <laughs> Are you pumping out cookies all day, every day? Or is it like, hey, I was inspired to create this design. I'm going to put it up for flash sale or pre-sale. And then I will knock those out. I'm just curious, you know, what's a, a day in the life or a week in the life here? Before COVID hit, I was doing cookies while my kids were in school and then after they went to bed. So I try not to work on cookies at all when they're home. One, I don't want them in the room. And two, I just don't, I need to focus when I'm doing the cookies and I want to have that kind of Zen time. So I would just take time out for myself. However, with COVID, I've actually limited sales. And so I've been able to create more with the flash sales and different designs that I, I've been inspired by. And so I'll do those throughout the day if I feel like it, quite honestly. And if I kind of need a break, I'll, I'll just shut the door and go in there. So these are interesting times and they've been really interesting for my cookie business. Have you found most customers are repeat customers at this point? You've been doing this for a few years. Absolutely. So I can, there are a few customers where I can think back and I did their baby shower or their wedding shower. And then now I'm on to like the second birthday for their, for their child. And that's been an awesome thing. And I can think about all the family events that I've done for there's probably about a handful of families where I literally have cookies at every single event that they have. Yeah, it's an advantage of having a consumable product. Like, hey, it's going to be gone and you're going to keep coming back for more. For sure. Okay, so we talked about the flash sales and the pre-sales work similarly where you will put up kind of a preview of the design and say, submit your orders here. Exactly. So with the pre-sales, I let people know this is what I'm going to have to offer. And sometimes I order personalized options, especially around Christmas time or Valentine's Day. People like to have their kids' names or treat them as gifts and little gift baskets. I have a lot of businesses that ask me to do thank you or specific logos or things like that. And I'm always happy to accommodate those requests. Oh, okay. So some business-to-business customers. Was there anything specific to go after that clientele? I have a lot of customers who are in skincare or in those kinds of businesses that are a little smaller. And during the holidays, they actually like to thank their clients. And so they actually get cookies from me in the shape of lips or with their logo. I've done mascara. I've done eyelashes, like all kinds of really cute things. They like to put those in their little special bags that they hand out. Anything else on the marketing front? It sounds like very organic and I guess people... Well, naturally, we'll take pictures of the product when they get it and hopefully tag you in that, which which increases the following. Anything else, though? 
I think my product really speaks for itself. I don't like cookies that just look nice and don't taste good. I use really good ingredients and it, they're very simple ingredients, but they're consistent. And I think when people taste my cookie, it's not something that they'll necessarily forget. I think they're always a little bit surprised that a cookie that looks nice can taste good as well. And I think that's to my advantage that I don't want to sell a cookie that people are just going to look at. I want them to eat it and to enjoy it. Did you have any, so I guess like just the hobby phase of practicing with the frosting and the piping and, you know, all of this decorative stuff. But I look at some of the designs and it's like, I could probably follow a recipe to bake the cookie portion, but there's no way I could do the art portion. I'm curious about that, like with an attorney background, like not necessarily an artist training background. Like what did that look like? I never knew I had it in me. I always thought I was black and white. I was thinking transactionally. However, I have a huge creative side I never knew existed. I actually just had a Nicolas Cage set that when I got the order, I was really excited, but I was like, OMG, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. <laughs> because all of his movies, they, they run the gamut of different film advertisement, I guess, display or whatever. And I didn't really know what I was going to put on a cookie. And finally, I was just like, you know what, let's just trial and error this thing. Let's just try it out and see what happens. And I actually got his picture on a cookie on the first try. And that was really amazing to me. It's all kind of a creative process that I'm lucky enough that my customers allow me to explore. I don't have customers that have restrictions or that say, I want this exact design because I will not copy someone else's design. They kind of give me the theme, they give me the colors, and I just run with it. And often, I don't know what I'm doing until I'm sitting down and then all of a sudden inspiration hits me. So I can't really tell you where that comes from, but it it comes from somewhere when I'm when I have the pressure to start it or to complete it. Yeah. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. 
your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. We do run into days where you're like, oh gosh, I got to knock out another hundred of these. Like, shoot me now. There are days, but they're few and far between. During the holidays, it gets really tough because I have to balance my family with these orders. And sometimes it's just when you're taking orders, it's like, oh, great. I got another order for five dozen more. And you never think about it until you're actually doing it. Look, I'm very, very lucky that those days don't happen often. I don't know if they did, if they did happen often, whether I would continue doing cookies because cookies are hard on, on the body. They're hard on my arm. They're hard on my eyes. So this really comes from a place of love and joy. Are you, I'm trying, imagining like whatever piping, squeezing arm is like super jacked and the other one is. <laughs> yes. No, I have a Hulk arm. I have a Hulk right arm. So. <laughs> oh, so funny. So funny. With the 3D printer and the cottage kitchen laws kind of capping what you're allowed to do as far as shipping and, and revenue for the, for the business. Where else do you want to take this thing? What else is coming down the road? Before COVID hit, I had actually started doing cookie classes. And those were so much fun because people could host it in their house or I could host one in a more public location and sell tickets for them. And I would have complete control over the design. And so I would have different levels. So beginner, intermediate, I probably wouldn't do advanced because that takes a whole lot more work that I'm not trained for yet. However, the beginner wine socializing kind of cookie class was was a lot of fun. And it was it wasn't just fun for the attendees, it was fun for me because I could come up with different techniques. And it was a challenge because it was a certain set of time. So it was about two hours. And I didn't have all the equipment that I would have at home. I didn't bring my airbrush. I wouldn't have a mixer. I had to have everything prepared before I showed up and be able to instruct from the very beginning. And that was kind of where I was headed before COVID hit. That's really set me back on that front because I haven't given it too much thought. I haven't had inquiries and we don't know where this is headed. So hopefully when this is all over, I'll be able to continue that and I'll be able to host a larger gathering at some point. Yeah, this is where people would practice their own decorating skills and stuff like that. So there's there's two groups of people and the people who actually want to practice decorating skills is actually a smaller subset. The larger group are people who just want to be able to flood their cookies and feel that same satisfaction and just learn about how I do the cookies, not necessarily to start their own business or to replicate it, but just to have a good time with girlfriends or whatnot. Okay, gotcha. So cookie classes could be an avenue down the road, but kind of on pause right now. What else? So I actually have found that there's a lot of waste in cookie decorating with the disposable bags that I use. I feel like I can't reuse them. And so it's become kind of a challenge to me to find compostable bags 
I've transitioned all of my packaging bags to compostable bags. The added challenge to that is letting people know or having people know that they can compost those bags. However, on the decorating end, I would love to find a manufacturer who makes compostable tipless icing bags so that every single time that I have to throw away a bag, I can just compost it instead. It's a passion project of mine that I want to find ways to f- to have less waste in this industry. Okay, so you're thinking this could be an ancillary product idea to sell to other bakers? Yes. I noticed there is no so here's the dough.com website at the moment. Is that something that is planned for the future or just hey it's it's not necessary. Like I'm selling out with just Instagram and these other tools that I've put together. It's always on the back of my mind that I should have a website, but then every time I have a sale, I realize that I don't need a website. Everybody who purchases from me knows what the deal is. They know how to purchase because I post pretty fairly clearly, clearly on my posts. And to be quite honest, a website is just a little more work for me to keep up. And I just don't have that time. I don't want to have just the same photos or just the same information on there. I want to be able to produce new work just for the website. And I don't have the time or capability for that. Currently, Instagram acts as my website, essentially. You can find all of the information on there. You can message me on there. There's a price quote. My starting price is stated on there. So I don't really see much more that a website could add. Yeah, the where where it might come in, I guess, but it's illegal for you to ship. So that's kind of where I see like, oh, if somebody from across the country wanted to order, then they could go and hit the shopping cart and have this order process. But yeah, if you're not allowed to do it, then no reason for it. Exactly. And my work is finite. So with cookies, there is an endpoint where I can't make anymore, whether it's the law that's prohibiting me or my time and physical restrictions. So there's not much more that I could do that I'm not already doing on Instagram and Facebook. Another thing that I've actually taken to make on my own are stencils for cookies. And they actually come out of a machine called the Cricut that uses a tiny blade to cut plastic. And these stencils go for at least five or six dollars each. And they're a tiny little square of about five inches by five inches. However, I've started drawing my own designs. And so I'm able to do different layers. So I just recently did a cactus one where the bottom layer is a cactus or multiple cactuses kind of ranged on the square. And then I wanted to do flowers. So there's another sheet that I can use for flowers. And when I airbrush the cactuses green, I can make the cactus flowers a different color. And so if I were to order that somewhere else, it would cost a a decent amount because you still have to pay for shipping. So I've started doing those on my own. And once I've come up with some decent designs, I think I will open up a shop and have those available. And that'll become another income stream. But these are all things that you would never know about the cookie business until you were knee deep in it. Right. It's kind of interesting. All of these opportunities that become visible or apparent once you're in motion, once you kind of have some experience in creating the product and selling the product and all this, all this other stuff. So it's really exciting to see what you've built here. Well, Jen, very much appreciate you joining me. Check her out. Instagram.com slash. So here's the dough. 
If you're local, make sure order some cookies. Say thanks for being on the Side Hustle Show. Jen, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I think that you've got to bring passion to it. Whatever you're doing, you got to bring that passion, whether it's passion for the actual product or passion that you're going to head into early retirement or passion that you're going to go on a trip. You've got to bring that. And I think once you do, other people are going to feel it and it's going to grow from there. So true. I love it. Jen, thanks so much. We'll catch up with you soon. All right. I took a ton of notes during this call in preparation for this takeaways segment, but I've narrowed it down to my top three here. The first thing that stood out to me was this path toward a thousand true fans. And if you're not familiar, a thousand true fans is this legendary internet essay by Kevin Kelly that says to make a good living from your art, you really only need a thousand true fans. These are the people that love and share your work. They buy what you produce and they spend at least a hundred bucks a year with you. Jen doesn't have a huge following on Instagram, which we talked about was her primary marketing channel, but the following she does have are customers and they're repeat customers. Now, yes, she benefits from having a product that's consumable, that's easily customizable, that's seasonal, but I really think, so here's the dough, illustrates what you can do with any number of different products or services, whether they're geared toward a local audience or not. So that's the first thing I want to leave you with is to be thinking about how to connect with your thousand true fans. Where are they already congregating and how can you wedge yourself into those conversations in a way that contributes and isn't just always, hey, go buy my stuff. So how can you turn strangers into fans? Well, first up, having a great product helps. But one thing Jen has done really well is takeaway number two, and that's to show behind the scenes. Pat Flynn calls this the factory tour strategy. We've called it the work in public strategy. But this is essentially showing how the proverbial sausage gets made. In Jen's case, in her Instagram stories, it's the hypnotic and uh, very satisfying to watch icing videos. She called them flooding videos. We joked about pressure washing, but I could see a similar behind the scenes strategy working to build trust and build engagement in other types of handcrafted products like woodworking. Calligraphy is huge on Instagram, but also in service businesses, kind of showing this is how we work. This is the care that goes into our process. Here are the before and after photos. We're so used to seeing the finished product. And that's why I think showing the creation process is compelling in a way to build some loyalty. So that's takeaway number two, show behind the scenes. And finally, takeaway number three is to think about seasons or events or holidays A lot of businesses will throw up a Labor Day sale, a Halloween sale with savings so scary, they're spooky, and they're kind of like, yeah, oh, okay, it's another excuse to have a sale, where I think Jen has done really well is by taking a forward look at the calendar, seeing what's coming up, and then seeing how she can align her products with those occasions rather than the other way around. And the effect that that has is it kind of gets into the customer's headspace without feeling pushy or opportunistic. These upcoming events are probably already on their mind, but maybe they never considered buying cookies to celebrate or or as a gift for that event. But then Jen pops into their story feed with some super cute options. And it's a quick transition from, I never thought about that to, yes, I need those in my life. Now to apply this in your own business, put yourself in your customer's shoes and see what events are coming up in their lives and consider how you could align your product, your service, with those events. 
that is something that I admittedly could do a better job of, like seasonal side hustle challenges, for example, like maybe around tax time, like double your tax refund in 30 days by flipping products, for example. I don't know, spitballing here, but I think there's something to the seasonal or event-driven marketing strategy, and that makes that takeaway number three for me. Notes and links for this one, along with the full text summary of our conversation, are over at sidehustlenation.com slash Jen, Jen with two N's, J-E-N-N. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where you'll hear from Australia's best marketer, at least according to a testimonial of his, on what you should be sending people after they join your email list. I'll see you then. Hustle on.